0: Hi regular listeners, you may have spotted that we've changed our name. It's now Honey and Co the Food Sessions.
1: So if you hear this sound, it's just us making dinner.
0: Well, that and the fact that we're not allowed to use our old title anymore.
1: It's just been a bit of a thing, but don't worry about it.
0: We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Sarit Packer.
1: I'm Itamar Sroulovic. Together we run a couple of Middle Eastern restaurants in London.
0: And we also do our fair share of food writing. And welcome to Series 6 of Honey & Coke. It's a series of talks we host in our little Delhi, Honey & Spice, on Warren Street. We talk to chefs and cookbook writers and waiters and managers and people we admire from the world of food.
1: This season we got to meet some incredible people. We've cooked their food We've learned so much. We are so excited to share this with you. I hope you enjoy as much as we did. Tonight we're joined by New York Times columnist, cookbook writers, and all-around great girl, Alison Roman. She just had a new book come out called Nothing Fancy, and it is fancy. Well, not in the usual sense. It's just a great book. She's a great, great writer and terrific recipes. We had a night of very weird and wonderful conversation. We've apologized to leaks. We changed our mind about rice. We talked a lot about anchovies and a lot about cheese and imaginary friends. We had a terrific night. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Alison Roman, people. Alison, Yay. Yay. <laughs> uh, of course, uh, we know her from her column in the New York Times. From her uh, Funny Witty Rye videos, hmm. the fingernails,
2: My, yeah, yeah <laughs> the
1: big deal, uh, the wonderful food, um, you know, and we ho- we have all these dishes with the the, you know, the the dip, the chicken, the cookies. That's right. Yeah, The Alison Roman <laughs> with her second book, Nothing Fancy, which is nothing fancy, but it's so great it's so wonderful we it was just a delight spending time with this book we I've had it by my bed for the last week and my wife is like what's with the Alison what's, <laughs> with the, what's, what's going on there like yeah
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah but uh everybody knows that uh my heart belongs to our Danish rice sourdough starter. No other. No, well, that's right. No, the book no can't compete. Wo- there's no room for another woman. Cannot in my compete. Life.
0: Sorry. Erica. Yeah, Erica is
1: the rice star. Yeah. 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 She's foremost in my mind, but second is Alison Roman.
0: Thank you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so you kind of, you know, feels like you've you've always been around, but actually, you know, uh, your first book came out last year or two years ago. Two years ago. Here and in, was,
2: here it came out this year. Yeah. In the UK. Yeah. But. It came out in 2017.
1: Yeah, and that was kind of you know, somebody Alison Roman was everywhere, and you know, the New York Times. But what what tell us about tell us your origin? Where story. I came from. Yeah, I know yeah. it's everything yeah. that happened from the moment that you were born. Oh until my god, buckle up, people. Born. This is gonna be yeah. <laughs> this is gonna.
2: Um, that's what I save my therapist for. Yeah, um, we don't need to do that here. Um, but yeah, it's funny to hear people say. I hear a lot. They'll talk about me and say, oh, you came out of nowhere, like, all of a sudden, it's like you're just on the scene, and I'm like, I have been working in food for 15 years, Uh, so uh, overnight seems a bit of a stretch, but, um, yeah, so I got my start working in restaurants, and I dropped out of college to go work in restaurants because I thought you, that you was a studying good idea.
1: Writing or I was I was
2: <laughs> I was in college for writing but not necessarily specifically. I wasn't like I'm going to be a writer. It was more I enjoyed writing and figured that I would try to do something in school that would um, help foster, you know, some creativity or make me get better at the things that I already liked doing. And when I realized I was spending all of my time reading cookbooks and, you know, teaching myself how to cook at home, I thought that maybe my time would be better spent working in a restaurant. I thought, oh, I can always go back to college. I didn't. I didn't go back. Um, But my parents, as you can imagine, were thrilled and um, (laughs) less than supportive. Yeah, they were like, you're going to work in the kitchen. And this was 15 years ago. So I feel like at the time, working in a restaurant and being a chef and whatever wasn't as alluring or sexy as it is now, where food is such a part of our lives and our conversation, where when someone says, oh, I own a restaurant or I'm a chef, you're like, that is so cool. And when I said that at the time, it was... Not quite the response. It was like yeah. you work in a kitchen, like what?
1: Like it's like you're a junkie. Yeah, basically.
2: exactly. Or 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 yeah. that like I failed out of college and now all the work I could get was in a kitchen, or like it was very hard for people to wrap their minds around that that was something that really spoke to me and I wanted to pursue. And so I literally knocked on the back of a door of a restaurant and was Which like, one? it was called Sona in Los Angeles, and. I was like, can I speak with the chef? And they were like, who are you? I was like, just a person who likes this restaurant. And they, the chef wasn't there, but the pastry chef was. And so I ended up speaking with the pastry chef and saying, I'm going to go to culinary school. I was wondering if I could work here part-time while I'm in school just to you know, pay for the culinary school. And he was like, listen, culinary school is garbage. I will give you a job and pay you $7 an hour to cut marshmallows and see if you like it because chances are you won't. He like, yeah. was basically like, most people that get a job in a restaurant are like, what the hell have I done with my life? And they are like, I just wasted $50,000, and, you know, whatever. So he was very kind, did me a huge favor. So I ended up not going to culinary school. I got a job with him and fell so in love with it, and I was so bad at it. I (laughs) cried every day, all the time, but I loved going back, and I loved learning about it, and I loved the the pressure. I loved the energy of working a service in a restaurant, and – I was so obsessed with getting better because of how bad I was when I started, <laughs> which like any amount of improvement would have been better because yeah. it was like truly a nightmare. Bottom, yeah. yeah. And um just extremely thankful for all the mentors I had that put up with me and saw that I was enthusiastic enough to want to spend time on me. Like they're oh. like, well, she's shit, but you know, she really wants it. So yeah. we can help her try to but get this, better. This is what I
1: find. You know, the, the restaurants are very accepting environments mm-hmm. that you'd say, it's not like oh yeah, I landed a job in this and that restaurant. You you never land like you have a pulse. You're in. You're hired. Yeah, exactly. You come back fine. the next day. That's fine. Yeah, you know?
2: yeah. And as and as a person who's worked in restaurant, I'm sure you can back this up. But. but if you come in and you're complaining about work, and even if you are good, you don't want you don't want them to be in your restaurant. But if you're bad and you really care and you want to learn, there's a yeah. chance you're going to be like, okay, let's make this work. Yeah. So that was me, the bad person who cared a lot. <laughs> and um, so I worked in restaurants for about six or seven years. I worked, lived in San Francisco, worked at a restaurant there. Moved to New York. Which one? Which one? Which one? Uh, it was called Quince. Still oh, is called. Nice. Quince. Um, yeah. Oh nice. Yeah, you got it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've
1: been to the wine bar place thing.
2: Yeah, I haven't. I haven't made it there yet
1: what what's it called
2: it's called uh verju
1: verju yeah. yeah i haven't nice. been yet
2: yeah they do they really do a lovely nice. job they yeah. they really have done a wonderful thing for san francisco yeah. um but that was sort of the, that was the last restaurant fine dining restaurant i worked at i was like can't do this anymore and it was in that time where i realized well, I don't want to run my own kitchen and I don't want to own my own restaurant and I don't want to work for somebody else for the smart rest of my girl, life.
1: Smart girl, smart so, yeah. I mean. <laughs> yeah.
2: Tick, tick, tick. But I was like, but I love food. It's all I've ever done. It's the only job I've ever had. How do I continue to work in food but not do any of those things that I just mentioned? So yes. I moved to New York for three months just because I had grown up in California. It was all I had ever known. I was like, I live in California. I'm going to die in California. It's the only state that matters. I love it here. And a month and a half into living in New York, I had gotten a job at Momofuku. I was doing desserts for Milk Bar and for Sambar and for Co. And they're like, we're gonna make you a manager. Here's health insurance and a salary. And I was like, well, I'm living here now forever, I guess. And that was 10 <laughs> years ago, so. But I really fell deeply in love with it in a way that I didn't expect to. With
1: the town, but with I, the work, with With, with, with New York.
2: Yeah, New York was has always been so good to me. And I think that I really kind of thrive in an energy. I mean, not unlike London, where and that's why I like London so much, but it it feels super alive and like really challenging. But I think that if you're the kind of person that thrives in a challenge, or, you know, kind of enjoys the good with the bad, or I feel like you can't have good without bad, I, I feel like it's just super dynamic. And I love it. And so I've been there. And after about a year and a half at Milk Bar, I had I helped mean, which Christina. Which this
1: is, you know, like still is now, but then was the place. It was Yeah, it was a baby baby. Only
2: Yeah. It was they had just opened. When I started at Milk Bar, it was about as big as this room and the kitchen was half the size. And we shared it with Sambar and they were so mean to us. And it was unbelievable. But I had come from this like really high intense pressured a fine dining restaurant with tasting menus and we were making our own breads and our own petit fours and it was just the level of service and things I, I was managing three people and working from 10 a.m until 2 a.m and it was really intense and so i was i was thinking oh what a dream to work at a bakery where you are you know you come in at 8 a.m and you leave at 4 and I was like, I had no idea what to do with myself because I had free time, which was a foreign concept.
1: <laughs> what you do is go that didn't to last it long. Yeah, that didn't wake last up at six long. In the morning. Exactly.
2: Yeah, they they moved me over, and then all of a sudden I was again working twelve hours a day. And I thought, okay, that's not why I moved to New York. So I quit. I had helped um, Christina Tosi with the first Milk Bar cookbook, and in that process, I was sort of like, oh, that's an interesting thing. Like yeah. you can write a recipe, test it, make sure it works for a home cook, and then put it in a book, and that's cool. And I, it was the first time that I had even considered that to be an option for me. And so pretty severely in the way that I make all my decisions, I was like, well, I'm quitting and I'm writing cook. <laughs> I mean, it didn't happen for many years after that, but I met with an editor at Bon Appetit magazine, and then he interviewed me to work in their test kitchen, and he's like, have you ever tested a recipe before? And I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I had not. I definitely had not done that. But I figured that working in a kitchen, being a chef – in whatever capacity you're kind of always recipe testing, right? Yeah. Like you are testing a recipe to make sure it works for your staff and for the cooks and for to be consistent night after night. So it wasn't t- unsimilar, and then combined with the actual testing I had done for the milk bar book, I felt like I was qualified to say yeah. yes, and not be a total lie.
1: Yeah. Also, it's not you know it's it's an exacting work, but if you can cook, you can
2: right do it. Yeah, and I yeah. think that the the translation between being a professional cook. And a home cook, because I had never really been a home cook because I had worked so damn much. I didn't have time to cook at home. And I feel like it's so funny when, when I read interviews and people ask chefs like, what's your favorite meal to make at home? And they're always like, a pot of rice with an egg on it. That is all I have time <laughs> for. And that's all I ever make for myself. And I feel similarly. But, you know, so thinking about the home cook at this stage in my career was really interesting because I hadn't really done that before. But part of that job at Bon Appetit was also taking recipes from chefs and restaurants and then translating them to work in the magazine for a home cook. And so it was in that process that I really learned, like, okay, what kind of equipment... Okay, they say use this kind of pan. I know they mean a hotel pan, which no home cook has. How can I convert that to a 9x13 baking dish or whatever? Like, using sort of cognitive thinking about writing recipes, and then...
1: Which is, it's a really... Actually, a a great skill. Yeah. Like, and you you learn a lot in the process. I
2: found really, I felt really challenged by it. And I think that that was the other reason why I left restaurants. I wasn't feeling challenged intellectually anymore. I felt like, you know, the adrenaline rush you get from performing service and like executing the dishes and doing it again the next night and the next night is addicting. But I found myself not being necessarily fulfilled by it anymore. And so wanted to figure out how to go beyond that. And I think in my time at Bon Appetit, I realized that more than just feeding people directly, I really wanted to teach people how to cook and like feed them that way. And so after about a year of just being a recipe tester, they started letting me make my own recipes, and with that came more writing, and my writing at first was so bad. Much like my beginning at a kitchen, it was just really horrible.
1: Your writing is so (laughs) good. Your writing (laughs) is so good.
2: Um, Well, it's interesting because I think I, I was so nervous of being myself at first, and that's why it was so bad because I was like writing as if I were leaving my body and pretending to be a magazine writer, whatever uh-huh. I thought that meant. And it wasn't good. Who who would be, you know, if you're pretending to be somebody yeah. else? And the more I had uh, time spent with editors who were like, you need to relax. Just be yourself. Just write it as you're speaking. Because when you tell me this thing, it sounds funny and interesting, but when you write it, it sounds awful. <laughs> so, so do less of that and more of that. So as soon as I learned how to... Just kind of go back to where I started, which was before college even, in the writing I had done, which was very much just my voice, I found it to be more successful. The magazine writing was still more challenging, but when I sat down to write Dining In, which was the first time I had really written my own book, obviously because it was my first book, I was shocked at myself at how easily it came. And even with Nothing Fancy, like I joke... Nothing nothing Fancy Especially could have been twice as long because I had so much to say and was writing so easily. I'm not saying it was all good because a lot of it got cut, which probably means it wasn't, but I was so enthusiastic on the subject. And when I'm writing about something like steaming broccoli, I get so pumped. And like, I <laughs> genuinely am excited and I have a lot to say.
1: There's just so much. It just gushes yeah. out of you. And it feels, there's something about it that's very contemporary and now, but actually, you can see links to, you know, food writing of, of, you know, Ruth Braco and, and, you know, Nora Ephron here and That's the Big Guns. It, it It is, b- because I just, I, I thought, like, there's such good lines here that I just don't, didn't know what to choose, but <laughs> I have this, uh, this is the, the wonderful recipe for a sausage party.
2: Yeah. <laughs> not what
1: you think, guys. It's not, not that kind of book. I had that
2: line and my disgusting. editor cut it. They yeah. were like, we, the world, we don't need to say that. We I we'll like, have right. to
1: say, Just like one line. I was once dumped the morning after a meatball-forward meal. And yes, I blame the meatballs. Just like these little (laughs) things that are just so funny and witty and and capture a little feeling and make you laugh. Thank you. But there is a lot of emotion about food as Mm -hmm. well. You offer an apology to leaks.
2: <laughs> I am sorry to them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like I, because I've been in food for so long, there's nothing about my life that isn't involved in food. And that includes, like, my relationships and ingredients and stories and anecdotes. And I felt like I, in order to do it, a book, for me, I had to be myself and in order for it to be original. Because these days, I feel like anyone can write a cookbook. And a lot of people do. And there's a lot of cookbooks out there. Yeah. And to look at them in a sea of each other you're kind of like okay well why this one why would i buy this one instead of this one and i the conclusion i drew was like you're going to have to like and trust the person so a the recipes have to work you have to trust them you have to like the recipes in order to trust them and they have to work in order for you to trust them but the other thing is you have to want to hang out with them a book is reading a book like this is like you're hanging out with that person for a long time yeah and so you have to want to spend time and believe me there are more people in this room than not that that like double the amount that do not like me, and I've learned that, and that's fine, and not everyone's going to like me, but I feel like the ones that do really do, so I'm <laughs> appreciative of that, but you know being yourself and and being as much yourself as you're allowed while at the same time offering service to like here's why you're roasting your chicken that way, yeah. but also this funny story to go along with it to me was important
1: I've been thinking a lot about you know what makes this book so charming and so appealing and it is like we all have our you know set of friends and our friends are rubbish for example (laughs) and you 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 kind of you know you take them as they are and you i hear you yeah Yeah. but this is kind of what you want your friends to be you want them to be easy and funny and and to have delicious food for you but you know also messy and Mm -hmm you know, to apologize to leaks and to change your <laughs> mind publicly about rice which we need to discuss. We do,
2: we should talk about that, yeah. Because
1: you were bad-mouthing rice on well, a real scale. Well, it
2: just wasn't for me. It's still largely not for me. I, I prefer literally every other type of legume or grain to rice. I just do. But I've come around being like, okay, once in a while I do like rice. But it's just not my go-to. It's not my yeah. number one.
1: That you'd say, this is how I want to spend my evening, I want to, you know, talk shit about yeah. food and about <laughs> you know stuff like that yeah. and this is why i find this book so appealing on, on the very on, on first touch on first go yeah. the recipes are excellent Thanks. the recipes are so good the date and lemon chicken which we cooked for you tonight is the second time we're doing it oh great because we cooked it already frazzled chickpeas you've done that, that yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, I mean, this book is like ninety percent anchovies. It must be. I,
2: well, I wanted it to be a hundred, and uh, yeah, they weren't they having said, that. We need to have yeah. three
1: recipes. And there, yeah, there were
2: a few places where I was like, "Should I take them out of this?" Yeah. i was like, no, I can't. My There's a few places that aren't. They're they're optional though, because I yeah. was like, well, or I just mentioned it casually in the head note like you could add anchovies,
0: but yeah. just because
2: I didn't want to seem like that's all I talk about, but yeah, it's, I talk about it all. But time. it is. Yeah. It
0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Yeah. Just to go back to the recipes, I, I was actually quite surprised to hear that you're a trained professional chef because this feels like a home.
2: <laughs> you're like, because this book is garbage. You know? No, because, uh. <laughs>
1: because of that tone, because of that friendly note, because of the unfussy, you know, vibe of it all, it feels like yeah come on in it, it yeah. feels easy and approachable but actually there's a lot of kitchen smarts here yeah you know I want to talk about the the reverse sear did I, did I have it correctly oh yeah what's it called? how do the I say the reverse sear it? yeah yeah the reverse sear is is genius
2: it's very chefy in a way that nothing else is but i think that as soon as you take that label off of something you can just be like isn't this a fun smart way to do something that's yeah. going to make your life easier rather than be like this is the only way you should ever do something because i'm a chef and i say so yeah seems aggressive but if you are just posing it as like this is gonna you won't be able to mess this up can you, you, tell, can you tell these guys
1: about the reverse sear yeah or should it's, we...
2: it's basically what it's what it sounds yeah. like you sear it in reverse no um So it's for any large hunk of meat. I do this with leg of lamb, with a standing rib roast, any kind of cut of meat that you want to be really nicely rare on the inside and really browned on the outside, cook it at first at a really low and slow temperature. It's not unlike how most restaurants will do it in like sous vide or something like that, but obviously I don't have that and I wouldn't ask you to get one either. So I just do it in the oven at a really low temperature to make sure that it's, you know, at the temp you want the perfect rareness and then either sear it in a skillet or turn your oven up to the highest it will go and then to brown that fat cap on the outside
1: because it's you know this is like when you want to serve rare meat or Mm -hmm. or pink or or medium rare when people come over then you say like "Oh, i need my frying pan and it it gets smoky
2: well also also i feel like when you do it like take a rib a rib roast or something or in like a lamb where it's very fatty on the outside i used to always start them super high Like, brown it first and then roast it low and slow. But what I was realizing is, especially if you're rubbing it with something, it's really nice to give those ingredients an opportunity to, like, get to know the meat. So if it's in there for about an hour and a half, two hours, which it it is upwards of because it takes a while, A, there's no chance it's going to overcook because it's such a large hunk of meat at such a low temperature. But also during that time, whatever marinade or spice mixture or salt even that you put on it is going to have more time with it before you blast it off, like, in, with super high heat, which can, like, burn spices or herbs or th- or anchovies. Yeah. Um, you know, doing it... At, and also that fat cap is going to start to render, meaning you have less of that, like, charred fat cap on the outside with the f- thick fat cap on the underside and then the rare meat. You have, like, a more even, you know, crusty bit to nice fat to rare meat. Yeah. I could draw a diagram if you guys give me a piece of <laughs> paper or something.
1: No, but you, you don't need to because it, it makes... So much sense. Mm-hmm. It just. I do it know. on
2: the grill too. That way, I'll, I'll build like a two-zone fire, and then just put the meat super low and slow, and like basically forget about it, knowing that there's no chance it's going to overcook, and then hit it on the grill really high at the end. So good.
1: The other thing that I love about this book is these kind of non-recipes, mm-hmm. entertaining ideas that you just or not entertaining. I'm sorry, we don't. We, we don't, don't use that word here. We don't um, use that no. word because it's not the '50s, but. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But I, I I love I love that you write that as well about you know your, your grandma carving the crudites and oh it's no just so it funny
2: yeah they're like your grandmother must have been a great cook to go through all that trouble and the, no horrible cook I think she was sort of disguising how bad she was by the smoke the smoke show of like a carved crudite platter like turning radishes into animals and yeah. like oh it must be really good in the kitchen it's like more of an arts and crafts move than it is a culinary <laughs> move but you know
1: I love I love these kind of Really easy things that you wouldn't necessarily think about, but are just so, you know, cook friendly. Mm-hmm. So do you cook at home now? I after do. After years of
2: shopping? <laughs> I do, but mostly in this capacity. So with all my books, I do my recipe testing at home in my kitchen. And the easiest way for me to do that is by having people over. And so when it came time for me to kind of have this, I had to, you know, pitch, formally pitch the idea for the second book. I was like, I'm just going to do what I, what I do, which is have people over. Because that's how I live my life. That's how I recipe test. I rarely, if not never, cook for myself alone. Like, I'm never just, like, whipping up some chicken thighs or, like, a pan of chickpeas. Like, I, if I'm cooking alone and it's just me at home, I'm making popcorn or something. <laughs> like, I'm making toast with, like, a sardine can. Like, I'm not doing anything special or worth writing home about. But when I have people over, that's when I want to actually cook things. It's a, it's an act of itself to spend the time getting ingredients and sourcing it and cooking it and that is really exciting to me and there is nothing worse than me doing all of that and having no one there to eat it with me not to be like oh boo hoo, I'm alone but more just like the reason to cook is is to feed other people and I also am a very social person who hates going out so I love to have you over because I don't want to leave my house but I do want to be social
1: and you don't want to like be so full a little bit drunk and then schlep all the way home. No, no. I don't have to
2: go anywhere afterwards. People, I wanna, you like,
1: go away and I'm going to bed now. Yeah,
2: I take my pants off and like crawl in a bed and that's yeah, it. That's yeah, that. Yeah,
1: And then wake up to like a disgusting house. Full of, yeah, full basically. Of my of friends
2: them. are actually quite good. They will almost always do the dishes. It's a select group of people that I'm speaking to, but they are, without even asking, with no grudge, they will always take care of the dishes.
1: You have trained them well.
2: I, I know, I know. Well, they yeah. also know they're never going to invite me over to their house. They're never going to cook. They're never, you know, so it's the least they can do. Yeah.
1: Tell me a little bit of a uh, special recipe from this book that you love more than anyone or that I didn't notice and that you mm, want to talk that about. That you didn't notice?
2: Yeah. Gosh. Um, well, that chicken is one of my favorites, but you already talked about it.
1: Yeah. That, oh, let's but talk about the thes. Yeah.
2: Well, I if, if I we can have make. The, we have the dip. Yeah. The I dip feel like is big. all of these could be the thes. Yeah. But. I would say if I'm looking for one to become the, I would really love it to be, where are you, little friend, the cabbage, because I mm-hmm. love cabbage. Um,
1: nearly made oh, it.
2: It's made so good. Do you, know,
1: do you know why you didn't get it? Because of the last line of the recipe, which you can read to the people. What does it say? In the oh, do-ahead.
2: It says, this should be made right before you sit down and eat, which is to say, sorry, there are no do-aheads here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's because I want I want to manage people's expectations, and I want you to know that if I don't put a do-ahead in a recipe, it's because I'm, I truly don't believe that it's better. Yeah, no, absolutely. For it. Yeah. Like, if you want to do it ahead, do it ahead, but I'm telling you in advance that it's yeah. not going to be as good. But it also comes together in, like, eight minutes. A friend told me last night that he had made this um, just as a side dish to a steak he was cooking, and he was like, it was so good. It was like a really fresh, but also cooked Caesar salad. And I was like, oh. That is absolutely correct. Because there's anchovies (laughs) in (laughs) it. Surprise! But yeah, this is an example of a dish that I was just making. A friend of mine were um, like upstate New York, and I was actually writing a lot of this book. And that's kind of how I write. That's my process. I have to literally get out of my apartment and go to a place where the Wi-Fi is bad. And I don't know anybody for miles because otherwise I just have no self-discipline. And we were cooking dinner for just us two. And... I went to the market and I had one lone little head of cabbage and I was like, oh, I like cabbage. And so just off the cuff made this thing and she was like, are you kidding me? This is the best thing I've ever eaten. I was like, it's just cabbage and some anchovies and butter. She's like, you have to put this in the book. I was like, well, it's a little late for that. I'm right. I'm literally in the middle of writing it. And and she's like, well, you have to do it. You have to put it in the book. And so I did. <laughs> it's- um, but it is truly, truly so good. And, and one of the dishes that I make quite often, um, or a variation of, which is like, I, when I had first cooked it, I seared some pork chops in a skillet, and then used the leftover pork fat to sear the cabbage in that, and then just finished it with a knob of butter, melted some anchovies in that, took it off the heat really quickly, and then finished it with lemon. So, Mm. the cabbage is like just kind of cooked and caramelized on the outside, but still stays pretty crunchy on the inside. It's just really good. I love it so much. And I just think that cabbage, people are like, oh, cabbage... But for me, I'm like cabbage. It feels exciting to yeah. me. It's a really good vegetable.
1: It is. It's really good and very. It might uh, be different
2: here, though. That, is that different? Do you guys love we cabbage? We stunning
1: <laughs> cabbage. It's one of the nicest, nicest yeah. things that you get, and actually all year round. Well,
2: it's, I'm here to tell you that this cabbage is a delight.
1: It's re- it really, you know, we were we were hooked on it, okay. and we said we're gonna serve, we're gonna make this, but. We didn't want to get in trouble. No. <laughs> oh, you mean uh, tonight you were going to make it? Yeah, because it, we cook it, it. all okay. in the shops, and oh. we we hot-hauled it. So well, the do-ahead is, you. is, is yeah. 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 The fans of Alison Roman are ma- romantics, oh. as we like to call ourselves. <laughs>
2: I T M. Wait, where did you TM. hear this? Where did you hear this? Because someone just told me this.
1: I just came up with it. In no, my head. someone else <laughs> had come up with it. Witnesses. I just I, came up with it in my head. Romantics.
2: I had recently just heard this from somebody else, and I was like, no one says that. But what if they are? What if it's you are thing. saying it? It's that a is- thing.
1: Trademark, <laughs> Louisa. trademark.
2: Yeah. Well, we have an audio recording of this now. We need. So. We need. We need to. You get can that file Instagram the paperwork. Account. Yeah. Yeah. But it is. It's been so fun and lovely, and I think that the what's nice about it for me um, is that it's not just people. Sort of like following someone on Instagram or something, which requires very little on you, on your behalf. Like, you click a thing and whatever, who cares? But people are, like, spending their money on buying a book, and then they're spending their own money on buying ingredients, and then their time cooking recipes and actually documenting them. It's a total commitment. And that, to me, is so fulfilling and makes me feel so good that the time and commitment that I've put into this is being completely reciprocated by everybody that participates in these recipes. And that's why I think... You know seeing it on Instagram and thing it doesn't feel like an empty experience for me it feels actually super rich and fulfilling and I'm pretty sure that's the only time anyone said that about social media ever so
1: like I said before you, you do feel like you're spending time with, with a friend with a close friend or with kind of your ideal imaginary friend How's it, how does it feel like <laughs> to be an imaginary friend of someone? I know we will have people? to like make
2: a doll of me and we'll start selling it no, yeah kidding, I would never do that that's so creepy um yeah, I don't know. It feels, it feels good. and I, But do, I feel do, you, like, do,
1: you, do you find it odd with people's reactions saying, oh, yeah, let's talk about leaks no, or let's apologize I, to rice? Or? No,
2: I feel like if, I, it's, if it's striking a chord with you, I feel like then we've all read something that somebody has written and been like, oh, I yes, somebody finally said it. And I feel that way constantly with people, even outside of the food space, especially outside the food space. But it feels really nice to feel connected to somebody else and be like, oh, that person also has had that thought that's great and I feel close to them even though we've never met and I feel like that happens often in films and in movies and movies and films uh, two yeah, different both, things both. just kidding <laughs> I meant films these, and yeah, uh, media yeah. films and music you know like the first time you listen to an album and like the lyrics like speak to you about a breakup you had and you're like oh that person gets me you know I feel like it's the same thing when you're like I also love cabbage you know <laughs> um, so I feel like it's, it's a similar thing I have also thing. wronged leaks exactly <laughs> yeah. exactly so, I feel like Oh, I wish I had a backlog. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I work pretty much how I live my life, which is completely last minute at all times. Um, I don't think that much ahead for anything that I do. And that includes recipes. And I think for things like books, um, with dining in, it was a bit different because it was my first book. So I had my whole life of ideas and recipes and techniques that I was like well this is my first book and this is my introduction to the world and here's what I'm going to put in this book and it it was recipes and ideas that had gone back years or or weeks or months or whatever and so with nothing fancy it was a bit different because I had A year. I had 12 months to kind of refresh and replenish my inspiration. But because it had to me such a better focus or more of a focus, rather, um, it was to serve a purpose. Like these are recipes for having people over. It was easier for me to kind of come up with that table of contents. Um, And with something like, say, the New York Times, that is seasonal, right? So I'm shooting six and shooting and developing six recipes at a time. And I know that that's going to run from March to mid-April, you know, so I know that it's going to be cold and there's not going to be much produce. So it feels like I'm solving a problem for that time. So I think that if you were to tell me, you can make me a book that's 20 recipes of just anything, whatever, that would be very challenging for me because how do you do that? But if you say, give me 20 recipes that you can all make with under $20 and it's winter, like that would be great. I would nail it. So I think that inspiration and and those ideas it's not like I have a bottomless well I mean at least I don't know if I do because I haven't tapped it yet but um I I feel like thus far I'm I'm working a little bit at a time and within each project find it easy I was almost nervous about Nothing Fancy feeling too similar to Dining In because my palette and my style hasn't really didn't really evolve that much in that year but why then I was like well why would it I'm the same person um I think the writing evolved and the photography and the styling of it, but my flavor profiles kind of remain the same. I love spicy food, I love lemons, I love anchovies, and I probably never won't. You're, like, you're not gonna pick up a book one day and be like, all of a sudden this woman loves peanut butter. Like, not gonna happen. Well. It's fine. Oh, I don't dislike peanut butter, I'm just saying. <clears throat> no,
1: but there is a recipe for rice here, I mean.
2: I, and I talk about it, and I'm like, and I've, I've said I didn't like it, and now here's one, so people are allowed to grow and change. So my question to you is, which one of your recipes would you describe yourself as, more? Oh, my God. That is such a good question. It's an amazing question. No, that I will say in all of the questions I have ever been asked by anybody, that is probably the best question I've ever been asked. It is the best question. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, now we can listen to it on this podcast. Um, Yeah. Gosh. uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that it's probably this cover chicken with the anchovies added, the optional (laughs) anchovies. Um, Because to me, it is like the ultimate expression of like, Looks impressive, but it's like actually kind of just a big old mess um, or or like easier than you think or like I'm all about like like under promise over deliver. You know, if you're like, oh, put a chicken in a dish, scatter some tomatoes around and like put it in the oven, hope for the best. You're going to be like, well, that doesn't sound that exciting. But when it comes out of the oven, you are so pumped because it is truly one of the most delicious chickens you can make and um, I'm just a delicious chicken <laughs> at the end of the day. Uh, it's like, you know, the, the most unfussy thing you can make, but it's just so satisfying.
1: Thank you so much, Alison Roman. It's been such a delight. You are truly a kitchen friend. And for you guys, Alison Roman really is your friend. Not in the sense that you can come to her house because we will get a restraining order. Yeah. <laughs> you cannot take bits of her hair. But Alison Roman is your friend in the sense that she wrote this lovely book for you guys to be with you in the kitchen, to drink some wine, to cook delicious food, to eat anchovies from the jar, lots of cheese. There's so much we didn't even discuss. I know.
2: Like the cheese and the cream. Which the people, cheese and the,
1: How did you we know. not talk about cheese? I,
2: could,
1: it's I mean. like 90% of this book. <laughs> <laughs>
2: There's not that much cheese in it. Come on.
1: But please, guys, please, let's all give a big hand from all us romantic, PM, <laughs> <laughs> to Alison Roman. Thank you so much. Thank you. So much for listening to our latest episode. If you'd like to join one of the next talks, please follow us on social media at Honey Co.
0: or go on our website honeyandco.co.uk. With a huge thanks to Hester Kant for producing.
1: A special thanks to our own Louisa Cornford for her wonderful research.
0: And the music is by the lovely Alice Russell. Thanks for listening.